All right. Hey, it's wonderful to come together again as the body of Christ and worship the Lord. Uh, we should always be mindful of those who are sick, who cannot be with us, and others who are going to be traveling back up north. I was speaking to one of the couples in our church who will be heading back to Michigan this week, and there are others uh, who have already left who won't be here. So we need to continually pray for them, okay? Let's do that. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this time this morning in the word. I pray that you would strengthen every heart that is here, that you would uh, be glorified as we uh, give ourselves to the worship of God through the study of the word. But Lord, we also think of those who cannot be here, those who are sick, those who might be shut in, not able to get out for various reasons. We also think of those who will be leaving us, moving back up north. Give them safety as they travel. May they have a wonderful summer in a church home there and join us again in the fall. We lift up those who came last week for Easter, who gave their heart to Jesus Christ. We know that this week Satan was probably uh, really pounding them, trying to knock them off uh, of their course. But Lord, we thank you that we're not saved by our works, we're saved by grace, and that you have called us to a higher calling. And may they sense that, may they know that they are loved of you, they are your child, and may they continue to press in and press on as they walk with you. And today, Lord, as we study this scripture, may the word of God come alive, may it be applicable to our lives, and may it be relevant to what we're experiencing in this world today. We pray it in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, we're going to pick up where we left off two weeks ago in uh, verse 13, and I have quite a bit to say out of verse 13. We're going to go as far as the Lord leads us today in our verse-by-verse -verse study. Uh, verse 13, now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, that's a, there's a lot in that, and I want to just break it down for you. So this missionary group of uh, Barnabas and Paul and John Mark uh, has been making their way. They, they, they left Antioch in Syria. They went to the coast, Seleucia, took a, uh, a boat over to the island of Cyprus, spent time on the uh, east coast of Cyprus, then went to the west coast, to Paphos, and uh, then they made their way north, due north, crossing, uh, it would be a 175-mile boat ride uh, up to what is Galatia, that region, Pamphylia, and they specifically landed there, and that's where they are now. That's, that's where we pick up in verse 13. They've uh, come from Paphos on the, on the west coast to Perga in Pamphylia. And interestingly, uh, yeah, can we put the map up? Maybe we can show you. Here's Cyprus, the island that's just south, and you can see where they went up into Perga. They could have landed in Cilicia or Lycia. They, they chose Pamphylia, and that literally is the area. That area of yellow and green, and green uh, specifically, is Galatia. If you remember, it was just after this trip that Paul wrote his letter to the church in Galatia. And uh, so some interesting things that we pick up about what's happening right now in this text from the letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians. He shares a little more there. And so 
Today we're going to be studying where they, they get to Perga, and now they make their way north. What you can't see on that map from a topography is the, the, the ascent. They're going to climb mountains to get up into Pisidia, uh, Antioch uh, in Pisidia. And so that's what they have ahead of them. One final comment on the last part of the verse, and I think this is a big deal and it looks, it reads like a postscript, but really it's not. It's much more than that. Uh, it says, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Uh, it's interesting to note here, this is, uh, this is something that we talked about two weeks ago. I shared with you that John Mark would desert Paul and Barnabas, who are now sent out from the church in Antioch, Syria, to go on this missionary journey. This would be Paul's first missionary journey. And it's, it's John Mark who joins them in Cyprus. He joins them in Cyprus. And he is an, a ministry assistant to Paul and Barnabas. The reason he's there is because Barnabas is cousin to John Mark. And so that's probably how John Mark ended up on the trick, trip. But it's interesting to note that when the leaders of the church in Antioch, Syria, sent out, back in the first part of the chapter, they sent Paul and Barnabas because the Spirit led them to do that. There was no mention of John Mark. It's not like the Spirit said, and send John Mark. And it's not like the church leaders said, send John Mark. John Mark was not part of the church in Antioch. He was from Jerusalem. But somehow, uh, Barnabas probably got word to him, maybe he was visiting in Antioch. And he went along, but he joins up with them in Cyprus. And, and so the point in that is how uh, oftentimes people can join us for the work of the Lord, but maybe they join for the wrong reasons. Maybe the motivations aren't as much for God as it is for people or for some other cause. John Mark has decided to abandon Paul and Barnabas in the ministry and return home to Jerusalem. You have to wonder at this point why John Mark was even there. Was he there because he was compelled by the Lord? Or is he there because his cousin asked for help? Whatever the reason, why was he there? And we too need to check our hearts. We need to check our motivations as God calls us into ministry. Can you easily walk away from the ministry that God has called you to when things get tough or when you don't get your way or when uh, the ministry uh, doesn't line up with your expectations? Do you find yourself walking away from the ministry like John Mark? I would say that there's a reason for your calling and your calling should always come from God. And if God calls you, he expects us to carry out the calling in spite of the difficulties, in spite of the setbacks. Is ministry supposed to be an easy in, easy out proposition? I don't think so. And you don't get to pick the ministry. God picks the ministry for you. Some of the ministry God picks for us, we look at it and we think, what? Seriously? That's all? That's all he wants me to do? I want to say this to you. Don't ever forget what seems small and insignificant in your eyes is big in God's eyes. 
God uses the small things in order to do greater things. I remember being in India. I had a trip there with a group of Christian leaders. We spent 17 days there, and we had, were up in Siliguri, which is almost in, in uh, Bhutan, or as they would call it, Bhutan. And, and we were coming back down due south from Siliguri down to Kolkata. And uh, it was a 13 and a half hour ride by a bus on bumpy roads with no shocks. The shocks were shot. And so 13 and a half hours. We left in the evening, drove through the night, and arrived in Calcutta the next morning about 8 a.m. We went straight to Shushantapatra's house, our host, and we arrived, and there he uh, spoke to us for a little while, and then he spoke to our leader, John Bodecker, and said, hey, uh, I, I need someone from your group who can travel out of Calcutta by train and then get off and you'll hike to a village. And uh, I need them to preach the word for these people in this village. And so John came to the group. There was about 13 of us on the trip. And he said, who would like to go to Calcutta and preach? Now, we had just come off of a 13-hour, you know, no sleep. And uh, uh, not a single North American raised his hand, including your pastor. <laughs> and uh, John said, uh, Greg, would you do that? And I said, John, I'll do it. And... Uh, so with Sanjoy by my side, my guide, we left, went to the train station in Calcutta. What a massive sea of people. I had never in my whole life before or since seen that many people together in one place. Everything about India is epic. Everything. Even the rivers, the Ganges. The Ganges is the water flowing from the Himalayan mountains, the highest mountains on the earth. And the Ganges River, you can hardly see across. That's how wide it is at certain points. It, everything's epic. And I'm there in Cal Calcutta at the train station, the same train station, where in the movie, Gandhi gets on a train, and the trains are old, and the trains are jammed with people. And, we're, and, and it shows Gandhi leave, leaving, and he's sitting at the opening of a cattle car on the train. He, he's sitting there with his legs hanging over, and one of his sandals falls off. And immediately he reaches down and takes the other sandal and heaves it towards the other sandal. Somebody says, why did you do that? Somebody needs two sandals, not one. Now, that's wonderful. What a blessing. He was a great humanitarian who unless he came to the saving faith of Jesus Christ is today in all of his good works, in a place of torment. We crossed over this sea of people, got to the right train, headed out, and two hours later, the train just comes to a stop. There's no station, there's nothing. And we climb off, and we start walking, and we come to this little village, and I'm thinking the whole time, man, I'm dog-tired. Why, why did he pick me? wonder what that was about. And here I am, and you know, man, uh, man, this better be worth it. 
I mean, I'm being honest with you. That's, that was my attitude. That was my heart. I, this better be worth it. We get there. We're walking this little village, and there's a little hut. It's about the size of this part of the stage. That's it. We walk in, take your shoes off outside, walk in on a dirt floor, and we sit down on, um, they had like a blanket spread out. There's no chairs. It's not even high enough for me to barely stand. And there's seven people. Seven people. And the Lord took me to the woodshed and wore my fanny out thinking that I was better or bigger than this. These were humble servants of the Lord who gave everything they had and came to hear the precious word of God. There are those kinds of churches all over the world, by the way. And God taught me a great lesson there. I learned. I needed to learn. I needed to be humbled by the Lord. And I came to realize that what seems small and insignificant to me is great in the eyes of the Lord. Ministering for the Lord is one of the toughest things you can ever do. To respond to the call of God is to surrender your life to God. I'm not talking about being a pastor. That's just one type of calling. Every single person in this room who is saved is called. If you're not saved, you're not called yet. You need to be saved. And God will call you. You, you are called to serve. In Ephesians 2, 8, verse, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God did all the work in your salvation, every ounce of it, for a purpose. Not just to forgive your sins. Not just to to lift from you through the work of Christ on the cross the wrath and anger of God which was directed towards you as a sinner. But you were saved to serve. The very next verse after Paul clearly tells us what salvation is and what salvation isn't. It's a work of God, not of you. Then he comes right back and he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand from the foundation of the world. When he was making creation, he already knew you. He had already called you to a work that you would walk in it. Saved for service. We're not saved by our works, but we are saved unto good works. At any rate, John Mark didn't count the cost to following Jesus at this time in his life. Later he would. John Mark would be the Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. So later he changes. But at this point in time, he's not fully committed. One time Jesus was approached by a scribe, and the scribe said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus responded, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. If you think for a second the ministry 
is a downhill slide, that it's just a, an easy way to go through life. You are nuts. It's one of the toughest things, toughest decisions you'll ever do is to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. He, he, right after Jesus said that, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another disciple walked right up to him and said, Lord, let me bury my dead first, my dead father first, and then I will follow you. And you know what Jesus said back? Follow me and leave the dead to bury the dead. What is he saying in that? He's saying, let the lost people of the world take care of the duties, the obligations of this life. You are called to spiritual matters. Your life matters for eternity, and the things you do on earth have spiritual implications. So don't just be the Christian who simply cares for, operates in, functions with the worldly duties. There's a spiritual duty that Jesus has for you. So we don't really know the reason why John Mark abandoned his companions on this mission, but we can only guess why. Maybe he was homesick. Maybe he was dreading the rugged, uh, dangerous journey north through the mountains. Maybe he resented the fact that when he started in, Cyr in Cyprus, it was Barnabas and Paul. And now, all of a sudden, for the first time in our text today, we see it's Paul and Barnabas. And now his cousin has taken a back seat to Paul's leadership. Maybe that's what it was. We, we, we don't really know. It's, it's plausible that he lost confidence in Paul because Paul had become sick at this point in the journey. We don't read that here in our text in Acts, but you'll find it in Galatians chapter 4. Paul literally wrote to the Galatians how sick he was when he was with them. Uh, many scholars believe he suffered with malaria. Can you imagine being on a missionary journey, traveling up the mountains with malaria? This is Paul, the apostle, who said, I am a slave to Jesus Christ. That's how he described himself. He didn't give himself a big title. He's not CEO. He's not commander. He's not captain. I am a slave to Jesus Christ which is exactly what Bill Bright and his wife said when they were first married. They wrote out a literal handwritten contract to God and said, for all of our days, we will serve you. We are your slaves. And Campus Crusade for Christ was born. And the Jesus video, the Jesus film was created and put all over the world and over a billion people have seen that video. Hundreds of thousands have come to Jesus Christ through a man who wrote on a piece of paper with his new bride, we will be slaves for Jesus Christ. Paul described himself as a bottom rower. Literally in the Greek it has the idea of a trireme ship, which would have been popular among the Greeks and the Romans in that era. It's a battleship. It has three tiers. And on the sides of those ships, they had holes, and they would put the oars out of those holes. 
and three tiers of rowers to build up momentum because those ships were created to ram the enemy ship. Paul said, I want you to think of me, and this is how I think of myself, I am a bottom tier rower for Christ. My job, pull my oar well. Are you pulling your oar well? This is what it means to be in the ministry. Here is what we know. We don't know why John Mark left, but here's what we do know. This desertion had an impact on the Apostle Paul. It fractured his relationship with Barnabas for a season of time. In Acts 15, turn there, I'll give you a second. Acts 15, just go forward. Verse 36, Acts 15, 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Paul and Barnabas separated over it. Barnabas took Mark with him, and he sailed away to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, uh, strengthening the churches. Paul didn't appreciate the departure of John Mark that we're reading about. To some degree, he lost confidence in this young man as a missionary companion. This reminds us again that as great and godly as these men were and as great as the work was that they did, they were still dealing with relational matters like you and I today. Just because the Spirit of God's in it doesn't mean that everything's hunky-dory. They struggled. So already on this journey, I want you to just think, because we're going to go back before what we talked about here in verse 13. Already on this journey, Paul and Barnabas have faced setbacks from the outside. Remember back on the Isle of Patmos, it was uh, Elemus, who he was a magician, a sorcerer. And Sergius, who was a Roman soldier, was interested to hear the gospel from Paul and, and Barnabas. And this Elemus tried to to distract, to take away from what Paul was doing. And Paul looked him right in the eyes and confronted him and said, you're trying to hinder someone from coming to God. That's what they experienced on the island. And not only that, but then they, 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 they get across, 175 miles across the water, and now Paul's sick. And now John Mark deserts. He said, man, I, when I signed up for Christian service to serve the Lord in the church. I just want to be an usher. I just want to be a greeter, something simple. Don't think it's going to be easy. It's never easy. Maybe you're serving the Lord in the community somehow. It's never easy. Ministry is not supposed to be easy. Ministry is supposed to bring glory to God. And what brings glory to God is when we have to execute faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. So even greeting people should require some faith from you. you got to get up earlier to get here on time so you can greet people and love people. 
Now, I'm not pointing that at anybody. I don't, I don't know anything about that in, in the greeting ministry, so don't think I'm out after somebody today. I'm just, I'm free to preach because I don't have a whole lot of knowledge. Amen. So I'm just throwing it out there. I could have chosen any other ministry to be on time with, but that's the truth. It requires faith. Oh, I'm too tired today. I think I'll stay home. It requires faith to serve the Lord, to be a faithful servant, to pull your oar well requires something of you just to say again doing the lord's work isn't for spiritually weak people if you are one who needs everything to go as planned or if you require everything and everyone to meet your expectations you're going to be a miserable christian minister i want you to listen to this every christian and every ministry faces trials it goes with the territory you have to roll with the punches. Don't be a complainer. Don't be a Wilhelmina or a willy whiner. Wah, wah, things didn't go the way I thought. When I signed up for this ministry, I thought I was going to end up being... I only have one thing to say to you if you're a Wilhelmina or a willy whiner doing ministry. Get off the cross, we need the wood. Creating your own little cross of what you're bearing and what you're doing and how difficult and how heavy it is. Are you putting that up against what Paul did? Are you putting that up against what Jesus did for you? Not a single person today in this room, including myself, has a right to complain about anything. We should give thanks to God, bring glory to God by faithfully serving him where God has called us to serve, whether it's easy or whether it's difficult. And there are easy days, and then there are difficult days. And you're dealing with people, and you're going to have some relational issues. Get over it! Love people the way Jesus loves people. Amen? The absolute key to serving with joy is that we keep in mind that this is the Lord's work. It doesn't belong to me. Therefore, if issues arise or you find yourself continually facing setbacks as a minister in that calling of ministry, you have to give that over to God in prayer. But understand, your ministry is going to have issues and problems. This is part of God's plan for you. It's part of his training regimen to bring you into maturity as a Christian, to give you some problems to deal with to have to work through some relational issues. Amen? James 1, James said, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you when eat trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. When your faith is tested, it produces a steadfast spirit. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's what God is up to. He's making you one tough sucker for the kingdom of God's use. He, men and women, he needs men and women who toughen up, who are spiritually mature to handle problems because they've been here before and God brought them through. And if God can handle that, I don't need to worry about it. That's God's business. I'm just trying to be a, I'm pulling my oar well for the Lord. Amen? He says, if you lack wisdom while you're facing a trial... Think about ministry. You come into a problem. If you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. God, if you're doing the Lord's work, the Lord's not going to hamper you from doing it. He's going to help you get it done. But let that person ask in faith 
with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. When it says he's double-minded, it means, it means he thinks two ways. Sometimes he thinks this way, and sometimes he thinks this way. You're double-minded. Don't expect to receive anything of God. You have to be single-minded. I'm committed to Christ. I don't care what happens in this ministry. I'm committed to Christ. He's called me to it. I'm staying with it. Amen? So what is the secret to maintaining a joyful, healthy spirit as you minister for the Lord? Don't make the ministry and the ministry journey about your trials and setbacks. We all have them. You're not special. You're not alone. We all have them. Rather, keep your eyes on Jesus. Let him be your model, and you follow his pattern for ministry. You say, well, what, what is Jesus' pattern for ministry? What is that? What's the pattern? Okay, thank you for asking. John chapter 5, verse 30, write it down, John 5, 30. Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Here's why the judgment of Jesus is just. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Think about all that Jesus did when he was walking the earth for those, those 33 years. He never did anything out of his own will. He only did as the Lord, as the Father told him. Luke 6, 12 in these days, he went out to the mountains to pray, and all, that he, and, and all night he continued to pray to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose them from the twelve whom he named apostles. How did Jesus come up with the twelve that he chose? He didn't. God did. The Father told the Son, these are the ones. You say, I don't know if I believe that. Well, then let me help you. John chapter 17, let the Bible defend the Bible. John 17, verse 4, I glorify you on earth. This is Jesus praying a priestly prayer before he goes to the cross, and he's praying to God the Father. I have accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with, with you before the world existed. I, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your words. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them, those that you gave me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours." All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, uh, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them, those that you gave me, keep them in your name, which you gave, have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. Now listen to this verse. I have guarded them. You're wondering, who's the them? All the disciples. 
not just the 12, all disciples. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, Judas. You gave me the names of the disciples. I kept them. I taught them what you told me to teach them. And, and every one of them has been kept except for the son of destruction, who God the Father chose to be part of the 12 and chose to betray Jesus and begin the process of putting him on the cross. And he says, I did all this because that's how we fulfill Scripture. Jesus never ministered out of his own desire. It was all led by his Father. And now by the Holy Spirit, we too have been called to serve the Lord, not out of our own will, but out of his will. When you serve as a minister in the community, in the church, wherever you serve, you don't do it because that's your ministry. You do it because it's the Lord's calling to his ministry. Don't ever forget that. So it's imperative that we keep our eyes on Jesus as we minister. That's where the joy of serving comes from. It doesn't come from you. It comes from him. Hebrews 12, 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Did you know that there's a cloud of witnesses that are watching you right now as you minister or as you don't minister? There's a cloud of witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. You say, what sin? If I'm trying to minister, what sin? Why is he even talking about sin? Because as you minister, you develop bad attitude if things don't go the way it ought to go. Because as you minister, you're dealing with people just like you. They are flawed. They will make mistakes. And that will strain relationships. And it's easy to pick up the phone and call somebody and say, boy, I'm really having a problem with this person. Man, they are, a, they are. Or, or we, that sneaky way of doing it. Pick up the phone, call somebody. Sister such and such, I just wanted to call you. Uh, I'm really concerned for such and such. And I just called you that we might be able to pray for them. Well, why are we praying? Well, let me tell you. And they lay into the download, man. All this stuff about them. You know what Jesus, you know what it says here? Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. People will let you down. People will betray you. It happened to Paul. He's the one that God called the first missionary, the greatest missionary to ever live. The Keep your eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now you do the same. Not your own cross, his cross. For the sake of Jesus and his marvelous work on the cross for my sins, I will serve him. With thanksgiving in my heart. What a joy. Despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So back to our text in Acts 13. In Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas left the island of Cyprus. They've come to Perga on the mainland to what is now would be Turkey. They're in southern Turkey. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia, verse 14, or Pisidia. 
And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Now, I find that really interesting and kind of humorous. Let me explain. Antioch and Pisidia is a hundred mile journey up a mountainside, 3,600 feet high. Paul is sick. Before the journey started, he lost his assistant who walked away. Before that, he was on an island 175 miles offshore, and he was ministering to a soldier, a Roman soldier, and somebody tried to, to detract, to take away and destroy this opportunity to share Christ. And so he, all this has just happened, and they, they finally reach Pisidia, up 3,600 feet up. They go to the synagogue, and first thing that they say is, would you share an encouraging word with us? How many of you would have an encouraging word on your lips if you had gone through all that Paul went through? It reminded me of being in Bhutan. And we came back, we snuck over the border in the, mid, in the middle of the night. Or Actually, it was not, that's not true. It was probably about 10 o'clock at night. We were supposed to be at a church in Kublai. And the Kublai tribe was a people who did not, when, like when I'm preaching, if I make a point, a biblical point, and the translator would translate it, here's how they would say amen or yes. So while you're preaching, all these heads are going, it's the coolest thing. So we, we're, in, we're coming back from Bhutan late at night. We were supposed to be at this church at 7 in the evening for a meal and a service. We arrived, I don't know, 11.30, 12 o'clock at night. We thought, a bunch of North Americans, they're not going to be there. Why are we even still going there? Let's just go back to the hotel. Let's drive the four hours, get back to our hotel, and move on. We showed up in this little village, and uh, Mormon Roy Sakia said to us, okay, now, he kept the lights off. Now, now we will be very quiet when we leave to go to, the, 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 to worship the Lord with these people. He had all this faith that they're going to be. I'm thinking, they're not even going to be there. He goes, so we'll be real, very quiet because the elephants come out of the jungle, and they, if they hear noise, they will come out. And so we want to be very quiet. So... So we quietly exit. We get to this little hut. Again, it, it was probably the size of this stage. And, and I thought, nobody's going to be here. There was a dim light inside. I just thought a, no, a night light or something. And so we get up to the front door of a hut, a straw hut. And there are all these little shoes. The people in northern, northern India look more Asian than they do Indian. All these little shoes. And so we, we walked in quietly. The whole church is sitting, waiting, praying for us. Just blown away. The difference in culture, what it looks like to truly give yourself to the Lord. To humbly be thankful for the privilege of suffering for Jesus Christ. Do we even understand that? As we serve the Lord, 
Are we looking for more efficient ways, more organizational structure? We're looking at all these things to help the ministry. The Lord doesn't need our help sometimes. He just needs our faithfulness. He likes organized chaos. He uses it. Mm. That was the night that, uh, that day, earlier, it was like about 6 a.m. I don't know what time it was back here. It's like 18-hour difference in time. And I had called Rini, and she was on the phone with me, uh, and she told me that uh, Andy uh, was very, very sick and had a, what was the temperature? She's not here. Uh, like 103 temperature or something. And she had lost a lot of weight. And we need to pray for her. So that night, I'd been praying through the day, but that night I get to the church and I, so they had a time where they have prayer requests. And I said, my daughter, Andy, she is very sick and needs God to touch and heal her. And so we started praying. And when they pray in India, it's different than here. When, when the pastor says, let, let us pray, everybody in the room vocally begins to pray you just hear this holy chatter as all the people are praying and every once in a while as we're praying i hear andy 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 across the room the next morning i called rini very concerned and she said greg last night i can't tell you why but the fever broke serve the Lord is a marvelous wonderful thing it's a precious thing it's not a prison sentence I look at a lot of older adults and I'll say where are you serving well I already served my time <laughs> I, I paid my dues to the church culture you know no no it's lifelong you might have retired from work and you live on a golf course, but God wants more for you than sitting there counting the dandelions in your front yard. You're still of service to him. I wanted to go further, but we haven't got past verse 13. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Much for us to think about, isn't it? I titled this message, Onward Christian Soldiers. We all have sung that song over the years, especially when we were little, right? This is what it means. Today, Paul's giving us a first-hand lesson, what it looks like to go forward as a Christian soldier for Christ. Why don't we pray? Father, this is enough. You've, you've just opened, I know in my own personal life, you've opened up these thoughts about ministry, about the calling. Oh, how I pray that some way, somehow, today people have had their eyes opened by the word of God as well, that we would see the preciousness, the beauty of sacrifice, the beauty of being a slave to Jesus, the beauty of serving, knowing like Paul who 
you sent Ananias to the Apostle Paul after he was saved on the road to Damascus. He was blinded, and you sent Ananias to, to open his eyes. But you told Ananias to tell Paul, he will suffer many things for my name's sake. So there was no surprise when Paul was facing these trials on his missionary journey. God told him from the beginning, you're going to suffer. And Jesus tells us the same thing. In this world, you'll have much tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Now get to it. You were created as a piece of art for the purposes of God's use. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Oh, that people would sign up. Not with me, but with you, Father. And they would take the calling that you've given them. If they don't know what the calling is, that, Lord, they would just begin to serve where they can, where they see a need. And over time, you'll reveal. If there's something different, you'll reveal it. But they would do it with great joy in their heart, knowing that this is the way of the Lord. This is the pattern of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for allowing us to serve you. Thank you for allowing us to bring glory to your name by our faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for the setbacks and the trials that grow us, mature us as believers. You get all the glory for it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. I, I want to share with you, we have altar prayer partners. They'd be glad to meet with you up here, elders. They'll be on both sides. If you want to come up and have prayer about any matter in your life, they'll be glad to assist you. And uh, also, let me remind you about the petitions to sign, but also if you'd like to be part of a prayer ministry on Tuesday mornings at the church office, they'd love to have you. Go and sign up in the back. And, uh, and if you have a prayer need and you'd like to come in to that meeting so they can pray for you, they'll do it. Okay? God bless you this week. Be blessed in the Lord.